0: Why did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray? The Jewish people had been praying for centuries. The Psalms are the prayers of the people of Israel. They were taught the Shema from the time they were a little child. Remember, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. These were all prayers that they knew. Why did they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray? Because obviously they already knew how to pray. Well, the real question is that the disciples asked to Jesus is, Jesus, teach us how to pray like you pray to God. And that's what the gospel is about on this Sunday. How does Jesus pray? He prays as the Son through the Holy Spirit. He's praying in the midst of the Trinity, an intimate, personal, loving relationship with God. What do the disciples want to learn? The same thing you and I want to learn. How is it that we pray with that sense of intimacy that we're being heard and that God is leading us even when those supplications we bring to him are not exactly answered the way that we hoped? Just like in Abraham's prayer to God in the first reading where he wants Sodom and Gomorrah um, uh, spared for his personal love of Lot and his family as you know, Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. Lot and his family escape, But what comes out of it is this very mixed bag in the story of Lot. It's a wonderful story about prayer if you follow it through. For the Catholic, this intimacy in prayer, this persistence in prayer, comes in two major modes of praying. One is liturgical prayer. The other is personal prayer. Liturgical prayer is when you and I meet, around the eucharist and we pray as the risen body of jesus christ we kneel together we stand together we try to say the our father at the same rate we try to stay on the beat when we pray because it is a ritual experience of community the communal which comes to us through the source and summit of communion of community that is the eucharist It comes to us because we gather around the Eucharist and we're given this gift through the Eucharist. It comes because this is the closest we get to God on this side of the grave. And so the liturgical prayer of the church, which would be the divine liturgy, the mass, it would also be the liturgy of the hours, two examples of the communal prayer of the church. This is something that you and I join in because it's an experience of all of us praying together. Personal prayer is something related to, but different. Personal prayer is an intimate prayer that you and I experience um, either on our own or when we pray the rosary in a group. We could pray the rosary with 200 people, but it's still not liturgy. It's not the prayer of the church. It's the prayer of all of these Christians gathered together. The key to think about your devotional life in the liturgy is how your personal prayer takes you to the Eucharist, prepares you for that moment of the Eucharist uh, in the liturgy, uh, which is the way that you are blessed with sanctifying grace in a way that the rosary doesn't promise to deliver. Um, Jesus had an intimacy with the Father that he wanted to share with his disciples. But uh, to understand that the source of it, that intimacy is always Christ, that when you pray as Christ prayed, you talk to God the Father, um, as if you're addressing in the words of St. Teresa of Avila, a great king, uh, you're talking on a very personal level to God that when you come to Mass after saying the rosary and you come up to the Eucharist, You have a heightened awareness of who you are receiving when you come to the Eucharist. So devotional prayer, personal prayer, is a way that we prepare ourselves uh, for Eucharist. Don't get me wrong. There are other blessings that come through personal prayer. Um, That is without question. But all personal prayer, all devotional prayer, really points towards the Eucharist, which is the body and blood, the soul and divinity, uh, human and uh, divine of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Um, we, nobody ever claims that about the rosary or a novena to St. Therese of Lazio. as important as these personal prayers are. But what I would like you to think about is why the Our Father is like a bridge between personal prayer and uh, the experience of Christ present in the Eucharist and it comes down to one word that's used in the Our Father which I'm going to take a little bit of time to explain and the word is epiousion, which is tomorrow bread, tomorrow being above being and it occurs right in the middle of the Our Father and so we're going to turn to the book of Genesis and talk about persistence in prayer We're going to spend a little time talking about intimacy in prayer, um, which is all present in this story of in Luke of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray like he prays. But what I'd like to focus on is that word epiusium and why that is the fulcrum of uh, our practice both in liturgy and uh, personal prayer, because it leads us from our daily existence to union with god pointing always back towards the eucharist so let's turn to the scriptures um, for this sunday the readings from the book of genesis and the gospel of luke for this sunday uh, stress persistence in prayer and so in Genesis it's a continuation of the story from last week where the three visitors come to Abraham's tent and Abraham shows them hospitality and they bless Abraham with the child Isaac by way of his uh, aged wife Sarah uh, but as Abraham walks with the three visitors towards Sodom and Gomorrah he's talking with God. And God tells him he's gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but this is where his family lives, Lot. And so just like you, he starts to pray with them, pray with God. If you can find 40 righteous men, will you spare it? Yes, I will. 30, 20, 10. This is, he's negotiating with God. It sounds like prayer, doesn't it? And at the end, well, you know what happens. Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, but Lot and his wife uh, are freed. But still, the pattern, the trajectory for Lot and his wife's life is still not great. She's turned into a pillar of salt, if you remember. But the key is persistence in prayer. And so when Jesus is responding to the disciples who ask them to teach him how to pray, First, he talks about persistence in prayer, like a persistent friend knocking on the door of his friend's house in the middle of the night to get three loaves. And it's, Jesus says, his shamelessness, uh, his lack of self-respect. This is what the friend will ultimately respond to. Get up and get out of bed and give this guy his three loaves. And so Jesus concludes, ask and it'll be given you, seek and you will find knock it will be open to you because you have to trust like abraham does that god is the source of good and even if we pray for all of these things we do not see how god can bring these to pass still he says trust that what god brings out of your prayer is goodness maybe goodness not in the way that we'd hope to rearrange our lives or other people's lives but still It's good in God. But, you know, there's the question that the disciples asked. Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, the point is, is the apostles already knew how to pray. They're faithful Jews. So they would have prayed the Shema from chapter 6 of uh, Deuteronomy. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, the Lord. Remember, O Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one Um, This is the early creed of the Jewish people. They would have prayed that probably daily. They would have prayed the Psalms. They clearly would have done that in the synagogue. So they have prayers. But when they're asking Jesus to pray, they're asking to be, I mean, to teach them how to pray. They're asking Jesus to teach them how he prays because there was something so different different about how Jesus prayed to the Father. And if you listen to the words of the Our Father, it's the intimacy in prayer between God the Son and God the Father through the Holy Spirit. And so if you sometime meditate on the Our Father, and you think about how each aspect of the Our Father is lived out in Jesus's life, that he is praying out of his own personal experience of God his Father and the power of the Spirit. And so he reveres God's name. He wants God's kingdom to come, though it's going to be painful. He's asking when he is tested, and you know he's going to be tested, that he's not dominated by it. The best way to understand the Our Father is just through the lens of what you know about Jesus' life. But there is one aspect of the Our Father that I want to draw particular attention to. And it's because I spent some time talking about liturgy and devotional prayer, personal prayer. You know, the our Father is personal prayer. It's the prayer of Jesus. But when you and I say it like in the rosary or we say it daily, we make this personal prayer. But it's the one prayer that's also liturgical prayer because it occurs in the middle of the Mass, just before we received the Eucharist. The key there is the crux or the fulcrum of the Our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Have you ever thought that that phrase is kind of redundant? Give us today our daily bread, that the word daily basically occurs twice in the first sentence? You could consider it as kind of a parallelism, which is a form of Hebrew poetry. But I think you'd be missing the point. There are two different words used in that sentence that are translated as daily. One is always translated as daily. It occurs all throughout Greek literature, and it means daily, just like what daily means in English. But the other word is epiousion, and it is a neologism. A neologism is a brand new word that is just made up out of whole cloth. We do it in English all the time a classic example of a neologism in English is Orwellian. Orwellian, that word did not exist in the English language prior to the time that George Orwell wrote the novel 1984 in 1948. That's why it's easy to remember the year that 1984 was written, because it just transposes the last two numbers of the the book's title. But that book talks about the surveillance state and these dominant nations that are constantly making up lies and keeping the world roiled up so that the people in power can continue to control that's basically 1984 if you've never read it and so when someone says this the world has become orwellian it's going back to this image of secular government presented in the novel 1984 where our TV sets are observing us. We're constantly being watched. Um, We're constantly being manipulated by fake news. Okay, so this is why he writes it in 1948, because what we're going through is really nothing new to George Orwell. That's why the world we live in can rightly be described as Orwellian. It's a neologism, a word made up. Well, Epiusion is a neologism in Greek. It occurs only two places in all of Greek literature, Greek language literature, on or before the first century AD. And both places are either in the Our Father in Matthew or the Our Father in Luke. Epiousion is translated as daily, but it's a tough one to translate because there isn't any other uh, example of it being used. So... Saint Jerome in the fourth century translated as supersubstantialum, which means above substance. It's because the word is comprised of two shorter Greek words, epi, which means tomorrow or above or beyond, and usion, which means being. Apparently, the Latins didn't have a word that equated exactly to the Greek word usion for being. So they used substantia, which is also, of course, what Thomas Aquinas used in talking about the Eucharist uh, as transubstantiation, that the accidents, the appearances, that our five senses could pick up, stayed the same. But something about the basic level of being became now the real presence of God, the real presence of Jesus, body, soul, nature, and divinity. Epiusion, is translated as super substantialum because it's recognized in the Our Father when Jesus says to pray for your super substantial bread daily, that he's talking about something other than normal bread, that he's talking about the Eucharist, one of the reasons why the Our Father exists in the middle of Mass. And so Pius X, who was the first pope to encourage daily reception of the Eucharist, did so in large part because of this understanding and translation of the Our Father that goes back to the earliest church, uh, the earliest experience of Christians in Scripture, and then as it's understood coming into the Latin-speaking world um, through St. Jerome. But even on the Orthodox side, they understood that there was this was a Eucharistic reference. And the reason they had to apparently use the neologism usion is because the Our Father that we have in Matthew and Luke is actually just a Greek translation of how Jesus prayed that prayer in Aramaic. And no one's exactly sure what the word Jesus used was in Aramaic that the uh, Greek authors, Greek writing authors of the New Testament translated uh, into Epiusion, but here's what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, and why it is that this prayer of Jesus goes through the supersubstantial, transubstantiated Eucharistic bread to prayer to God the Father. So here's what paragraph 2837 of the Catholic Catechism of the Catholic Church says. See, there was a parallelism, but here it is. Daily, epiusios, in parens, occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. Taken in a temporal sense, this word is a pedagogical repetition of this day to confirm us in trust without reservation. So, in one sense, it's repetitive. Then the catechism goes on. Taken in the qualitative sense, beyond simply the quantitative, It signifies what is necessary for life, and more broadly, every good thing sufficient for subsistence. That is how it is we actually live. Taken literally, epiusios, quote, super essential, end quote. It refers directly to the bread of life, the body of Christ, the medicine of immortality, without which we have no life within us. Finally, in this connection, its heavenly meaning is evident This day is the day of the Lord, the day of the feast of the kingdom, anticipated in the Eucharist that is already the foretaste of the kingdom to come. For this reason, it is fitting for the Eucharistic liturgy to be celebrated each day. And so to consider that when we pray the Our Father, it's the template for the intimacy of the prayer that Jesus teaches us no matter what our our devotion is. It could be a novena, divine mercy. All of it goes to the source and summit of the faith, the Eucharist. Let's turn now and talk about that some more before we uh, conclude this episode of Oro Valley Catholic. As you know, the Holy Father has been very concerned about liturgy in the church. About a year ago, he restricted of the saying of um, Mass in Latin, which I know upset very many people. And then recently he uh, put out an apostolic letter, Desiderio Desideravi, uh, about the liturgy. But there's a key part of that, that whether or not you participate in the Latin Mass or you come to the ordinary rite here at St. Mark, what the Pope wants to point out is how it is that you prepare yourself to encounter Christ. Because whether you're doing English, Spanish, Vietnamese, Korean, or Latin, all of these languages and some more Polish and some African dialects where Mass is celebrated in this diocese, it's really the same Mass and you're encountering the same Christ. And so what the Holy Father said is at the heart of worthiness of participating in the communal prayer of the body of Christ is, and he says this in paragraph 26, wonder is an essential part of the liturgical act because it's the way that those who know they are engaged in the particularity of symbolic gestures looks at things. It is the marveling of those who experience the power of symbol, which does not consist in referring to some abstract concept, but rather in containing and expressing in its very concreteness what it symbolizes. It's really what Flannery O'Connor was saying, um, that the Eucharist is not just a symbol. You know who has a wonderful approach to this? Gerard Manley Hopkins did a beautiful translation and poetic meter of the poem-hymn that Thomas Aquinas um, composed called Adorote, devote, which is one of the most beautiful hymns uh, that we have in Christianity, and it's a poem that you can read about the Eucharist. It can be part of your private devotion to the Eucharist, um, along with everything else you do, because to cultivate the sense of wonder that brings you to the Eucharist and who God is and who God, what God wants of you, it's to remind you. That you're talking to someone when you pray. St. Teresa of Avila says, imagine you're going to see your doctor or you're going to see a great king, she says. I'd say your lawyer. Someone who really uh, needs, you need to focus and tell them what you need. This is prayer. So when you pray or you do a devotion, an novena, the rosary, whatever devotion you have that you want to lift your heart up in, Remember, you're talking to somebody. And when you're talking to somebody, by the time you arrive at Mass, there he is in the, in the uh, community of the church. So, this is Gerard Manley Hopkins' translation of St. Thomas Aquinas' uh, poem, Adorote Devote. Think about this, about the Eucharist and the connection between the Our Father of the Eucharist and that word, Epiousius. So here's the poem Godhead here in hiding, whom I do adore, masked by these bare shadows, shape and nothing more. See, Lord, at thy service, low lies here a heart, lost, all lost in wonder at the God thou art. Seeing, touching, tasting, are in thee deceived. How says trusty hearing, that shall be believed? What God's Son has told me, take for truth I do. Truth himself speaks truly, or there is nothing true. On the cross thy Godhead made no sign to men. Here thy very manhood steals from human ken. Both are my confession, both are my belief, and I pray the prayer of the dying thief. I'm not like Thomas, Wounds I cannot see, but can plainly call thee Lord and God as he. Let me, to a deeper faith, daily nearer move. Daily makes me harder hope and dearer love. O thou, our reminder of Christ crucified, living bread, the life of us for whom he died. Lend this life to me then, feed and feast my mind. There be thou the sweetness man was meant to find. Bring the tender tale of the pelican. Bathe me, Yezu, Lord, in what thy bosom ran. Blood whereof a single drop has power to win all the world forgiveness of its world of sin. Yezu, whom I look at, shrouded here below, I beseech thee, send me what I thirst for so. Some day to gaze on thee, face to face in light, and be blessed forever with thy glory sight. Amen. Beautiful hymn, beautiful poem, wonderful devotion. God bless you. I'll hopefully see you next week.